Hi, welcome to a special episode of the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. This is a special series of five episodes in collaboration with the 14th Annual Learning Ideas Conference in New York City. This year, the conference is fully online with participants joining from around the world. In each episode, I talk with several speakers from the Learning Ideas Conference to highlight the interesting work and ideas that they will be presenting at the conference, and also to find out what they are excited about in the future of learning. Welcome to the fifth and final special episode of the Art and Science of Learning podcast, from the Learning Ideas Conference. In this episode, my three guests are presenting their work on this last day of the conference, which is June 18th, 2021. And in these conversations, we will get some highlights of what they will be talking about and really fantastic insights into the innovative work that they are doing. So I will just give you a little bit of an overview of what we will be talking about. And of course, again, you can find more information in the show notes. My first guest is a professor from Southeastern Finland University of Applied Sciences in Finland, and he is going to be talking about how he uses gamification to teach engineering students business skills. So he is taking project management software, which is a Finnish company that is actually used in the workplace. He takes that tool and applies gamification to the way that he uses that tool in his classes to really engage the engineering students into the business aspects of engineering. So it's a really fantastic way of incorporating gamification into university learning. My second guest is a professor at Arizona State University in Arizona, United States, and she is going to be talking about a collaborative student-led engagement and persistence program that she, along with Beagle Learning, developed a way to teach through project-based learning. She shares strategies on how to make it very personable and engaging, and she shares stories about how when some students who are completely disconnected from school, they actually choose to work on the classes that use this methodology. My third guest is the co-founder of Alelo, which is a spin-out of the University of Southern California and under his leadership has developed into a major producer of AI-driven learning products focused on communication skills. And so he's going to be talking about this incredible technology that uses avatars to help students learn in the context of what they are studying. So for example, if you're learning a language, you're actually interacting with avatars from the country where that language is spoken. So it's within the cultural context that the language exists. Or, for example, in military cultural training, military personnel learn about the culture of where they're going by interacting with avatars in that culture and context to really become familiar and understand the culture a lot more than if they were just reading about it. And they're actually practicing those interactions in the virtual context. Really fascinating technology, very interesting and useful way of learning. So those are the three guests that are on this episode, and I hope you will enjoy these conversations as much as I have. Every single one of them has interesting insights and tips on how to make learning better. Now, as I said, this is the fifth and final special episode 
from the conference. This conference has been an absolutely incredible week, jam-packed with amazing speakers who are doing really innovative, wonderful work in the world of learning around the world. Those who are at the conference are walking away having been inspired, learned so much. I learned so much about different strategies, technologies, and insights into how people are creating better learning experiences in a variety of ways, both in higher education and the workplace, and amazing technologies that are helping to do that. And if you haven't been to the conference, please do check it out next year. This year it was virtual, but hopefully next year it will be back in the regular location in New York City. It has been an absolute pleasure for me to have this collaboration and create these five special episodes of the podcast I would like to thank, first of all, my guests on the podcast, 24 individuals. It has been an absolute pleasure to get to know and learn about their work and discuss it with them. I've enjoyed every minute, and from each and every one of them, I have learned something. I would also like to thank Dr. David Gorelnik, founder and chair of the Learning Ideas Conference, and his wonderful team, who have been wonderful to work with in this collaboration. I thank them and appreciate this opportunity to combine our work in this way. It has been an absolute pleasure. And finally, to you, the listener, thank you so much for joining in these five episodes. I hope you enjoyed them and that you took away insights and information that is useful in your own work. And if you're interested to hear more conversations with interesting leaders and innovators in the world of learning, please do subscribe to the Art and Science of Learning podcast on Apple or Spotify. And now let's jump into our conversations. Guest is Dr. Mati Koivisto from the Southeastern Finland University of Applied Sciences in Finland. And his talk is called Gamification of Project Business Studies. Thank you very much, Matti, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Tell me a little bit more about who you are. Okay, um, my name is Matti Koivisto, like you just said, and I'm uh, currently uh, head of a master degree program in uh, project and sales management. And this our program is a little bit different in that sense that all our students must have at least two years work experience after they gained their bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this means that they are like adults returning to the college, but they have full-time jobs, so they are not full-time students. And earlier I have worked in different positions, both in public and private sector. I came to my current job from the dark side, I mean, from the management of our university, Uh as I worked as a dean in our school of technology. But I like teaching, and for that reason, I wanted to return to the teaching position. Wonderful. That's a very uh, diverse, you get to see all sides of the university. Yeah, that's that's the benefit of, of switching jobs. Yes, that's wonderful. And you're teaching in a gamification way, you're teaching business students. Actually, I'm teaching engineering students. So oh, okay. in, in Finland, we think that management is not only for business students. I mean that, that we are maybe a little bit of engineering nation. And for that reason, it's like we think that managerial positions suits extremely well also for engineers. That is very true. And that's great clarification on your talk. So 
Can you tell me a little bit about what the essence of your talk is, gamification of project business studies? I think there are two areas of interest, at least I hope there are two areas of interest. And the first thing is that I fully, fully believe that we all learn best when we are motivated. Mm -hmm. So the motivation is a starting point. Yes. And therefore, we educators, we should not pay only attention to the content, what we are teaching but also how we are doing our, our task. We have to be able to design some kind of learning sessions or learning experiences which are interesting and motivating. That is the only way we are able to get best results. And of course, there are many ways of doing this. And in my presentation, like you pointed out the title, I analyze the suitability of uh, gamification for adult learners when we learn project business skills. And what does that look like? What does gamification look like in project business skills, learning project business skills? Maybe it makes sense first to point out what do I mean by project business in that, in that sense that here I mean that we are not managing a single project, but we are managing a large number of projects mm. at the same time. And we do that in order to reach the strategic goals of a company. So we have a company which is more or less like getting its, its all money from different projects and how we handle that thing. And our gamified solution is based on simulation where the students create small groups and they are like having a situations that we typically have when we manage a large number of projects. We have to allocate resources. We have to schedule things. Things change, how we adapt to these changes, how we prioritize things, and that kind of things. Absolutely. So then the engineering students are really learning the management skills of complex, yes. multiple projects and how to be running them, which is absolutely critical. It's such an important skill because the division of engineering and business, it really does need to be understood by both sides to some extent to be able yeah. to collaborate. I, I fully agree with you. And the second thing, like I said, there, I think there are two points. The second thing is that I use here a simple machine learning techniques to validate and verify my work. And the, the idea here is that we sometimes think that machine learning or artificial intelligence gives us the answers. I'm not using it that way. In my case, the machine learning is more like a watchdog because we human beings, especially I, make a, easily many mistakes. It makes sense to use machine learning a little bit, check what we do. And, and that is the second thing that I find a little bit interesting here in the methodological sense. Oh, okay. In, in what way do you mean? Well, the idea is that because I create there a, a model which I use to, to analyze the data, I want to verify, does it make sense? Can we explain the phenomena we are analyzing with this machine learning? And it is giving a result that, yes, the model is describing what we are studying. And the second thing is that I manually assign student feedback to positive and negative categories. Mm -hmm. But because I had a large number of them, it's very likely I made some mistakes. Mm -hmm. So how to check that? I used machine learning algorithm to do the same job. And then I compared my results and machine learning results. And this way... I was able to find out maybe a more reliable outcome 
than if I just trusted my own or machine's evaluations. Mm, that's such an important point, because as you said, AI and machine learning is used as an authority to tell us whatever we want to find out. But that is absolutely the case, isn't it? That it is not perfect. It is very flawed. Even the best programs are very flawed. So using it with people is the absolute best way. It helps the person correct themselves and the person helps the machine correct itself, which is such an important thing. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think that my idea of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning is that it's not we against machine, but it's we and machine against the problem. And that is that is the way how we are able to able to get the best out of it. Perfect way of putting it. I, I like that. I haven't heard that before, but that is exactly what it should we should incorporate into everything. So in terms of your talk, what aspect of this gamification in helping engineering students learn business, what do you find most interesting about it? Well, I think that we have to first think that who are the best evaluators of, for example, my teaching job? And I think they are the students. They, they can best evaluate. And for that reason, in my study, I analyzed the sentiment, the positive or negative sentiment students had towards different aspects of this uh, project business learning. And uh, the findings clearly point out that we are on the right track. Students were clearly highly motivated and they really liked the, uh, this gamified ap approach that we used. And also they learned a lot. But even more important maybe is that it also indicates the areas of development, which things we did not do so well, mm -hmm. because when we are satisfied, that's not good thing. Yes. We have to always think how we can do things better. But I think that we are on the right track and that is what what was interesting because we have to bear in mind that games and adult learners might sound not so well fit together but it really worked and it gave students a great way to learn also this kind of teamwork and this kind of decision making things and and that kind of issues and can you give a little bit of a visual snapshot of what does it look like from the student experience that they're using a gamification way of learning this topic? What, what does that, their experience look like a little bit? Okay, uh, one example I can give to you is that, for example, they work in a group of five mm -hmm. and they have five different projects. Everyone is a project manager of one of the projects. Then headquarters tells that they have to reschedule the tasks. Then they have to, using this, this computer program, they have to decide which projects they are delaying, which, uh, where, where they are freeing the resources. And this is like interesting thing to notice that even though these projects are not real, every student loves their own project. <laughs> it's their own child. Nice. And for that reason, they want to keep that project in time. That is creating a very interesting discussions. And then they have to make together decisions in the computer program, how they handle these, these projects. Fantastic. So it's like a simulated world that they step into in the computer program. Exactly. Right. Which makes it a lot more real, their project, I would imagine, for them to feel that connection with it. It's more than just on paper. They probably see different aspects of their own project that they can interact with, I'm assuming. Yeah, and, and the best comment I received from one student was that 
damn, this is exactly the problems I try to solve every day at my work. And I didn't know that we could use computer this way to help our job. Oh, fantastic. So then the, this program is not just for the teaching. It's actually they, they can take it into their work as well, into their workplace to help organize and manage many yeah, different projects. Yeah, is yeah. that it? Okay. Yeah, that's true. So we, we are doing here a cooperation with the Finnish software company, which is uh, creating this kind of software, which is used very widely here in, in, in Finland and, and also in other parts of Europe. Okay. So that is like, it's a real tool, okay. but we like use that tool in our simulated uh, exercise. Right. And, and that is like giving a quite realistic feeling to our gamified workshop. Wonderful. And can I ask you what the name of that tool is? Yeah, uh, it's a thinking portfolio is the name of the software. Okay. And that's a Finnish company as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's very interesting. Really fantastic. Well, I look forward to hearing much more about it in your talk. But now more broadly, what do you find exciting and interesting in what's coming up in the learning space? This is a tough one. Uh, <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but one thing that, because I have been also on the administrative side of, of a university, one thing that comes to my mind is how suitable our educational organizations and structures are to ever-changing environment around us. I use an example here that in my parent generation, at least here in Finland, it was typical that they started to work for one company and then they retired from that. I mean, they have like this kind of lifelong uh, relationship with one company. Yes. In my generation, we have worked in many organizations, but more or less in the same profession. When I, when I look at my daughter's generation, they are likely to have many careers. The big question is, how can universities with still quite rigid systems support and educate them to these new professions? That is the thing. Are we ready, really? Or are we still living in the 90s. Yes, the siloed, siloed yeah. of you going to school, you graduate from school, you go to a job, you progress from one job to the next job, but now it really is interwoven, isn't it? And that yeah. lifelong learning has really taken on a meaning far beyond it used to mean that, you know, lifelong learning, you learn new skills for your passion, but really now lifelong learning has to be an interweaving of the education system, the workplace the continuous development. And so what do you see in that space is absolutely necessary? How do you see, what do you think is an essential component that should be considered in this moving well, forward? Well, there are a couple of things that comes to my mind. The first thing is unfortunately money. I mean, can students or adults, can they afford to study new profession? Absolutely. It's huge. That, that is one thing, uh, how we do that. The second thing is that uh, it's related to this, this money and, and it means maybe that we have to think this more flexible way. We have to offer more flexibility and, and more alternatives to our students uh, or, or people who want to learn, not necessarily even our students, not thinking like that, but mm -hmm. just people who want to learn. Are we ready for that? To some extent, yes, but I think there is still a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. That's a huge space, a really, really 
major space and how that's going to move forward and what we're going to learn. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. And thank you so much for giving us an insight into your talk and to the interesting work that you're doing. And I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate this. Thank you. And my next guest is Professor Lindy Elkins-Tanton from Arizona State University in the U.S. Her talk is entitled, Make It Matter, a Collaborative Student-Led Engagement and, sorry, Make It Matter, a Collaborative Student-Led Engagement and Persistence Program. Thank you so much, Lindy, for joining me on the podcast. Kinga, thanks so much for your interest. It's great to be here. Thank you. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my, my day job is to be a professor of planetary science, and I work with NASA on a space mission, but which I love, and it's a huge privilege and a pleasure, but I have a profound passion for changing the future of education, because I really want to help create a generation of problem solvers who feel they have a sense of agency and ability to make change in their worlds, and that's where this program comes from. That's amazing. That's a very important thing. And, uh, and so important that you're not in the field of education, but that you want to make sure that you're teaching and your students are learning as best That's as right. they can. That's right. That's wonderful. And so can you tell me a little bit about the essence of your talk? What is your talk going to focus on? The talk is focusing on this program that we've been developing for years. We call it Make It Matter. So much of education focuses on the content. You want the student to learn from the lecture, learn from the textbook and give back on the exam. And, and sometimes that can be done in a kind of an active way, but often it's passive learning and we know that's not as effective. Uh, there isn't as much retention. And we really wanted to take that whole paradigm quite a bit farther. And we wanted to set up a scaffold or a structure through which we could teach people to pick the topic or issue that most interested them do research on it until they understood it well enough to decide upon an outcome or an activity or an event that they were going to have as a result, and then carry that out. So give them the, the whole roadmap, the landscape of, of finding a thing you really care about and then being able to take action on it. It was a sets of steps that were not usually taught in school. And so this is something that I've done together with the team at Beagle Learning. I'll be doing the presentation together. Okay. And it turns out that obviously something like this creates huge intrinsic motivation in the students. And we found um, that we can have in our pilot programs a tremendous amount of uh, retention above normal and, and also excelling at the work that they're doing above normal because it is their own intrinsic motivation. Right, because they choose the direction and they are interested in the in the area that they want to make a difference in and their project right. will actually make a difference. It is somehow. That's right. And that's what's providing the motivation is the that's fact right. that it has an impact. Wonderful. That's amazing. Exactly. What aspect of this topic is most interesting to you? I mean, you've created this program, you've implemented, and these are university students, right? So these are your students. They are university students and they're also high school students. In fact, this program, oh, so the, the part, the nugget of it that really got me going on this was just using inquiry learning. Right. And so we, we do open inquiry. We have the students, we, in fact, we have a way to score the excellence of the questions that they are asking and help them through the scoring process to ask better and better questions oh, and then find the answers to their questions. So that's really where my, really the heart of my passion is. And then when we built this program around it, our pilots, we have pilots this year in fifth grade, sixth grade, in high school, in community college, and at college. And so it, this concept of pick your topic, 
learn about it and take action works for people at any age. Absolutely. And you weave in the the learning objectives into that, don't you? So how how do you do that? What does that really look like? You know, the the place where it's most obvious right away is um, when they're doing their research, they do little question cycles. They write a summary. Even the the young ones write really short summaries and then the more adult learners write pages, page summaries. And all the learning standards can be pulled out of those. And they learn Mm -hmm. to be better writers. They use grammar. They learn to synthesize. uh, And they learn to communicate that information to the other people on their team. So either just verbally or by reading each other's summaries or by giving presentations. And so all of these different standards can come out. And in in the sixth grade class that's using it, this was the most charming thing. The class decided the issue, they they wanted to do it as a class. The issue they decided they wanted to focus on was was kindness. They wanted to create a more kind classroom and a kinder school environment. And they started gathering data on how people reacted when they opened the door for them. And so that classroom started doing math. And so it's very easy to imagine that at the sixth grade level, but in university, it's the same thing. You can absolutely make a little model of the thing you're trying to do. You can do some calculations so you can have the English and you can have the math and you have the sociology and the science and all Mm -hmm. the different aspects can come in as needed for the topic you're on. That's fantastic. I mean, really wonderful. So the essence of the program is really that beginning to end having an impact type of project. And then you're scaffolding in the different type of learning objectives that that subject or that grade level really requires. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. So you have the overall structure and then the the appropriate scaffolding for the level that the students are at. And Mm -hmm. as you might imagine, one of the biggest challenges of teaching this way or, or doing this program is not that the students won't think of things because they absolutely will, uh, you know, but the, the challenge is, yeah, the challenge is that for the teacher to, to cede some control because so many of us are taught to be the expert in the room, know the answers to all the questions, mm-hmm. make the decisions about the pathway of the course. But here we want to really have the students start to learn to make some decisions on their own and see how they turn out and be willing to stumble and then recapitulate and try again to teach some of those really key life skills that we all need, frankly, Mm -hmm. that are very seldom taught in the classroom. Which are some of the examples that you are most interested in? What are some examples of those teachings? Yeah, so one one example is is the, the most fundamental thing, which is be willing to have an idea and say it out loud. Something that we don't practice often enough in the classroom, I think. The willingness to ask a question about something that doesn't seem quite right and then be willing to take a step and try to find an answer. And then very critical things that we virtually never practice in high school and college, which is how to give really effective peer feedback and receive peer feedback. So so bring what you've learned, tell it to your colleagues, and they want to know because they learned something related but different. Mm -hmm. And so your information is unique and valuable to them. And then they'll help you write a better question and you'll help them write a better question. And that way you learn how to be collaborative team members and do exactly what you'll do when you're in the workforce that really so seldom happens in the classroom. That's really wonderful. And as you said, I mean, this is difficult for the teacher to incorporate. Project-based learning is notoriously hard because you do need to bring in the learning objectives and where they fit in and what that's going to look like in relation to the, the project. So what kind of advice do you have for teachers? What did you find useful in the way that you incorporate this? Right. Yeah, it's very easy to do it at the college level and so motivating for the students. 
in high school and in lower grades, um, it's very helpful to work with the Make It Matter team to align your standards with the products that are going to be created. And we have a lot of guidance on this already, how to make that work. And what we found, we did not set out to make this for the fifth and sixth grade. There was a, pr a principal of a school who wanted to unite and motivate her school and up her persistence and engagement and decided this is the way she's going to do it. We've also done this in high schools, especially the inquiry cycle research part. And we've had some unbelievable results with very high risk students who are kind of in their last chance high school doing this inquiry cycle as a way to do their writing assignments about a topic they were interested in. We found uh, there was one student in particular who, who was suspended from school for a drug infraction for five weeks. And during the time that he was at home for five weeks, which is so sad by itself, Absolutely. the only assignments that he completed were these assignments because he knew how to ask the question, do the research and write the summary. And he was motivated by his own question. None of the other courses got any homework from him except for this one and for homework and he was able to hit his standards and so it's it's things like that where it's not so much a worry of how do you find the standards but how do you help the student be motivated to do the work to reach the standards and if we can help with that particularly with vulnerable populations then I think we'll have made a difference that's really amazing well I look forward to hearing much more about it in your talk but what did you find most surprising or most interesting as you've been developing and and rolling out this way of learning and teaching Yes, I, you know, the, um, for the last five or six years, we've been working on the way that we do inquiry, so mm -hmm. the, the way we use for the, for the research part of this, and now we've been adding on the, the rest of the activities of the Make It Matter. You know, it sounds so trite, and it's like I'm just like making a marketing piece, but truly from my heart, the, the one thing that has really, really excited me about this whole process, over the last five or six years, we've been working on the open inquiry learning process and then uh, building out the rest of this program. And so, and so there I am at university teaching planetary science with students from freshmen up through fifth year graduate students all in the same classroom, mm -hmm. following these research cycles together as a team and sharing all the information that they get. It's to see in the classroom, the way students from freshmen all the way up through fifth year graduate students can shine with excitement coming into the classroom to bring their classmates information that they found that their classmates don't have and their excitement about the discovery and their sense of ownership. That's really what has completely changed my mind about education. That's wonderful. So what do you hope that people will take away from your talk? Well, I hope they might consider trying it you know, trying this program. It's a, it's a, as you say, it's a new kind of project-based, uh, project-based learning and it incorporates, you know, constructivist theory and, and inquiry-based, but um, to try it out as a persistence program, to try it out as an engagement program, see if it works for you or parts of it. And I'd also love to hear from people who've done similar things and maybe we can learn and get better together. And where can they find more information on the, this program if they're not in your talk, but where can people find uh, more information? This program is held by Beagle Learning, mm -hmm. Beagle like Darwin's boat, okay. and Make It Matter. It has its own webpage. And so people should be able to find it by searching for Make It Matter and Beagle Learning. Wonderful. Well, thank you. So more broadly, what excites you about the field of learning right now? There's so much going on, but is there something that you're really excited about? You know, ironically, 
I'm excited about the potential of what we can do coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm. It's been such a terrible year for everyone. And, but this idea, I don't think anyone wants to go quite go back to what we were doing before, because what we we're doing before, we know how to do better, yes. but change is so difficult. And so even if we wanted to change before, it was hard to do, but now we've been changed. And so now we have this moment where we could come back and do it better than what we were doing it. We can bring the things we've learned in COVID about motivating people, and we can bring the new freedom of being back in person. And so I feel excited about that. I feel like we have a moment where we could take a a major step toward improving how we teach across the board. Absolutely. I I completely agree with you. And it's an exciting time to watch how teaching and learning develops, as you said, how we can make it better, because there's many amazing ways that we can do it better. And what you're talking about is just one example of wonderful practice. There's so many ways, so many ways to do better. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your work and giving a glimpse into the talk that you will be giving. I look forward to it. And for uh, anybody interested, they can find it on the website. Thank you so much for your time and interest. Well, thank you. My next guest is Dr. Lewis Johnson, who's the co-founder of Alelo Inc. in Los Angeles, California, and his talk is titled Integrating Intelligent Avatars with Classroom Teaching. Fascinating topic. Welcome, Lewis, to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. So can you please tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. My background is in artificial intelligence and education. I started out by doing research in AI and education at uh, University of Southern California. And then when I saw the technology beginning to mature and I saw the potential to be able to deliver AI-driven training and learning solutions around the world, we established a LALO so that we, we could do that, so that we could really provide learning solutions to hundreds of thousands of, of learners around the world, which is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting company. Can you just give a little bit of a snapshot of exactly what the company looks like? Because you're doing very unique work. You know, we're based in Los Angeles, although we have people working in, in, in different areas. We, first of all, we have developed an online learning platform that runs in the cloud that delivers uh, simulation-based learning experiences. We create intelligent avatars that can engage in conversations with learners. Uh, and so this can be used for a range of different uh, subject matter areas. Uh, the one where we got started was in learning foreign languages and foreign cultures, cross-cultural mm-hmm. communication. And in fact, that's something that we continue to do. And a lot of our learners are military personnel who, before they're deployed overseas, they become acquainted with the local culture by being immersed in a simulated meeting with a counterpart mm-hmm. from that country, from that, that culture. So that when they arrive in country and they're in that situation, it feels familiar to them and they have the self-confidence to succeed. So important. Absolutely. I mean, so many of the frictions in a lot of different workplaces and a lot of different circumstances comes down to this cultural misunderstandings and not being familiar in a workplace or in a country. But that is a very, very important skill to help people learn and become familiar with. Absolutely. So a key part of this is giving people, if you will, the proficiency to be able to handle these situations well, as well as the self-confidence to know, Mm -hmm. okay, I can do this 
because I've done it in the simulation before. And of course, those go hand in hand. If you're interacting with somebody who projects self-confidence in their engagement with you, mm -hmm. then you're going to feel better about that experience and it's going to be a more successful interaction. And this same, these same skills come up in a wide variety of occupations. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just to give you an example, we're now training people, unemployed workers, to become public health workers, community health workers. So that involves things like contact tracing, persuading people to get vaccinated. A lot of these issues come up, of course, in the COVID-19 context. And so a lot of this is, is developing the self-confidence to be able to interact with patients to respond to their concerns, to explain medical information mm -hmm. in a way that they understand. So it's general communication skills applied in a task context. And I could name other task situations where this comes up, but you know, you can just imagine whether it's customer service or retail or, or what have you, uh, a lot of it involves effective communication skills. Yes, and, and being familiar with the context in that, isn't it? Because, for example, teaching and, as you said, retail and medicine, it's you're practicing that those types of interactions. So if you can practice it before you get to the live person, then you're already way ahead of the game, uh, rather than as a teacher realizing how your reactions and how students yeah. react to you you can learn a lot of that before you get to the classroom. Absolutely, yes, yes. Great, what a fantastic company. Very interesting. So can you tell me a little bit about the essence of your talk, integrating intelligent avatars into classroom teaching? I'm going to talk about what we did under COVID-19 to integrate our avatar technology with classroom education to meet the needs that we saw exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly in the context of learning English as a foreign language. Mm -hmm. So what happened under COVID-19, students didn't have as much opportunity to practice speaking like they had in the past. Basically, the teachers had less interaction with students and the students had less opportunity to practice. So we had been developing this avatar technology. And so then we said, well, okay, how can we um, adapt what we've developed so it becomes a more effective for students as well as more effective for teachers? And so that's really the essence of what we're going to be talking about. It's like, well, what are the needs from, from a teacher standpoint? Well, the teacher needs to be able to provide students with effective practice experiences that they can do on their own. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they need to be able to monitor how the students are working. Are they making progress? Are they having difficulty? And then that complements the uh, classroom activities, which we can then deliver via Zoom and don't require as much face-to-face -face interaction as was required in the past. From the student's perspective, the system is giving them feedback, is giving them personalized recommendations of, of what, to, what to focus on. So it helps the students as well. 
So I'll work through this in the context of what we've done for um, English as a, as a second language and then talk about some uh, implications for other subject areas as well. What do you find most interesting in this topic? You've implemented this program that you're going to be speaking about. What really sticks out as something that you found most surprising or interesting? It's interesting how we can really accelerate learning using this technology over what was done in the past. You know, we're accustomed to giving out education in sort of regular chunks, units that over a period of time. You know, what we find now is that students can progress much more rapidly mm -hmm. if they have this kind of, of personalized um, practice and feedback and they still have the connection with the teacher who can yes. track their the, the progress. And I see this having big implications, not just as, as teaching foreign languages, but you know, right now there is a real need to give learners, including lifelong learners, the ability to learn new skills quickly. So how can technology support this? We see this is potentially having a big impact as people consider switching occupations, and that's happening a lot right now, mm -hmm. as we're emerging from the pandemic, people are saying, oh, gee, I don't want to be a bartender anymore. I want to move into healthcare. How do I do that? So we can provide the kind of personalized training experience that helps them uh, quickly make that transition. Right. And by immersing them in a way that what they're learning, they're doing, doing virtually in the environment, it really does accelerate their learning for sure. This is really important. And I want to stress this, which is that your audience is probably familiar with Bloom's taxonomy of learning. And, and a lot of e-learning material is at a low level on, on, on Bloom's taxonomy, all about recognize and understand concepts. We're all focusing on the apply level and, and above, and really use that to be the centerpiece of the instruction as opposed to it kind of being the, an afterthought. And that has a lot of implications. We know from learning science that people learn better by doing. Mm -hmm. So if we put emphasis more on that doing, yeah. then that provides the more efficient and effective learning that we're aiming to achieve here. Wonderful. That's great. And so what do you hope that people will take away from your talk? I would like people to take away from the talk the idea that these new technologies can really, first of all, they're designed to support learning and teaching and can do it very effectively. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't think about AI as being something to replace teachers, but we recognize, and we particularly recognize under COVID-19, that teachers have a lot to do, and yes. it's very challenging to do all they do. And so these technologies can help them to teach more effectively. And I also want them to think about, so what are the broader implications of this? If learners are able to learn more rapidly and more effectively, how does this impact how we organize curricula? You know, we should be making it possible for students to get through programs more rapidly mm -hmm. and, and really set higher expectations in terms of the skill sets, the competencies that learners have when they complete education so that they are better prepared to enter the workforce. Mm, absolutely. Incredibly important. And I like what you said about 
the technology and the teachers working hand in hand is definitely not a replacement. How do you leverage both and make sure that the learning happens well and to structure the learning such that it's a great learning experience and we can expect more from people because we can do it faster and better, which is wonderful. That's really great. And so more broadly, what excites you about the learning space? I mean, what you talked about is very exciting, but what what do you find most exciting now? It is very exciting. You know, I think this is a really exciting time for educational technology. Yes. In my own experience, you know, I've been working in the area of artificial intelligence in education for, for many years. Now it's a, it's a real possibility. It can make a real difference yeah. and can have a real impact. The way we educate, the way we teach, the way we learn. And I think the implications of that are very exciting if we, if we fully embrace and take advantage of the possibilities that the technology has to offer. What do you think people should consider when you're saying they should fully embrace the technology? What should someone consider when they've been thrown into the deep end of learning technologies during during the pandemic? Because a lot of people who might not have used it have been using technology a lot. Now we need to learn to use it well and effectively, as you were saying, to hand in hand. What should someone be considering? People should consider, okay, so how can this technology help me teach better as opposed mm-hmm. to teaching uh, uh, just as, as I did before. I think yes. that, you know, the mistake can be to say, well, I'm, I'm just going to keep following the, the curriculum that I've been following, uh, but now I'm, I'm going to add, add technology. So what we need to do, and, and when, I, when I say we broadly, this is a responsibility not just for teachers, but for administrators, for educational systems, Think about how we can structure the learning experience so that students can benefit better from the technology as opposed to just doing the same thing but using technology. I think there there are a lot of, you know, there's been a history of educational innovations not having much of an impact because people just, they keep doing the same thing they did before. Yes. But add technology to it. And this, by the way, is a responsibility for technology providers as well. Absolutely. You know, in our experience, a lot of what we did over the last year during the pandemic was to develop teacher guides, teaching materials to really help people understand how what we are offering, it can help them do what they did before, but do it in a more effective way. They can transfer the methods they use before to this new blended uh, medium. And so it's really incumbent on ed tech providers to really be able to focus on that professional development aspect Mm -hmm. to help uh, teachers grasp that. But some are taking that challenge. We certainly take it very seriously. So I think that's, that's a key part of it. That's really important. And as you said, having the learning be at the center of it. It's not about the technology. It's not about anything else. It's about how do we help learning happen better and then leveraging all that technology has to offer, which is a wealth of resources and combining that with the wonderful teachers. So I really look forward to your talk and thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. It's great speaking with you today. Thank you.